0: Welcome, everyone, to the Soft, Hard, and Wet. Today we have a special Las Vegas preview for you with special guest, uh, a, a good lifelong friend of mine, Brady King. You might know him as Dr. King. He does have a PhD, but it's not in auto racing or karting or anything fun like that. But uh, I'm here with John White as usual, and we've got our special guest, Brady, here to join us today to talk about all things Las Vegas. John, what's up? You know, uh, we were
1: talking about this in our, in our pre-call, but it's kind of funny that this is the first, I guess we can call this the real, a real conversation that I've had with Brady after being on an F1 text thread for almost two years. So what a way to meet someone for the first time after texting them on a, on a
0: podcast. That's, that's pretty unique. On your podcast. Our
2: podcast.
0: Fair enough. Brady, how are you this evening?
2: I'm great, guys. Thank you for having me on. Gentlemen, welcome to race week.
0: Indeed, indeed. So we're recording this on Monday night before anything fun has happened. We're recording this even before the little golf event that happens on uh, tomorrow afternoon, which I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Are you, are you interested in this golf event that's happening tomorrow afternoon that they're going to broadcast on Netflix? It's like the Netflix Cup. It's uh, Drive to Survive folks as they are billing it versus uh, Full Swing. The two Netflix shows mashup? You know, I like
1: Full Swing. Um, it hasn't gotten me as into golf as Drive to Survive has. I kind of already was into golf, but uh, I think it'll be pretty interesting. We'll watch it. I probably won't watch it live. We'll catch the reruns and uh, see what happens.
0: Brady, do you have any feelings on that?
2: I am particularly excited. Uh, I One of my best racers, one of the, my favorite out there, Pierre Gasly, is going to be involved. So... I definitely have to tune into this. If we we're only going to pick a few, I'm glad he's out there.
1: Hold on. I immediately regret having you on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How has it not come to light in in two years of texting that your favorite driver is Pierre Gasly?
2: I hide it well.
1: Not as well as
0: my love for Max, apparently. <laughs> being, being Vegas this week, John, I know you've been to Vegas before. I've been there probably a dozen times mostly for work and but Brady was there recently he went there i think in October so last month Brady why don't you give us your take on what Vegas is currently like and what we can expect if any if you have any insider information
2: so it's crazy being in Vegas anytime but being in Vegas just a few weeks back and seeing how much wasn't done and this was the first week of October, they had a ton to do, but it disrupts everything. Uh, I just wanted to go to the Bellagio and stand by the fountain, have a beer, watch the fountain. Uh, I think there was a lot of people too that had that same desire. And because of their build on the street, the grandstands that they had in front of the Bellagio, you can't stand in front of the fountain. You had to go into the parking lot on the other side where you can't see anything. And that is disappointing. But beyond that. Vegas is Vegas. Everybody is going to just sort of get out of the way. Uh, I didn't really see it disrupting too much of the normal flow, other than maybe in front of the Bellagio. That's just about it. Everything else seemed to be just just fine.
0: Did you go down by the Sphere at all, and what was happening
2: down there? I We drove by it because it's a spectacle, but I didn't really see too much of what the track looks like in that corner. Uh, the Sphere itself is crazy looking, uh, so that's... That's really impressive.
0: So besides the strip, did you walk any of the track or go explore any other areas where they're doing like those temporary bridges and that nonsense?
2: Just up and down the strip. Uh, the friends that I was there with, we didn't have a ton of time to go exploring all over the place and they're not really into the F1. So my nerding out over what they had done there really fell on deaf ears. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: the the F1 facility was was finished about that time, wasn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, but we drove by it at night, so I couldn't really see a whole lot of it. Okay.
1: So, Brady, with you recently going to Vegas, and Tom alluding to multiple trips that we've taken over the years, not together, but just uh, in passing, I think everybody has a um, has a Vegas story. And it's always funny because it's like, uh, you know, you see like the girls going out there on their bachelorette parties, maybe not so much anymore, but in our 20s that was a popular place to go and it was always like boo, vegas isn't gonna be able to handle us and it's like vegas handles a lot more than you i think uh i think it's gonna be more like uh, the hangover and you're not gonna be able to handle it and you've got a carlos at the table and trying to find your friend my stories aren't nearly that bad but i would love to hear just a vegas experience a vegas story uh maybe a little too embarrassing to tell on the podcast but we'll push the limits a
2: little bit uh from from you guys Sure, I can start us up because this one happened on this last trip, and it's kind of goes kind of quick. It's pretty much exactly just the hangover where a bunch of the friends decided to go out, and we walked a little bit of the strip. When we came back, one of uh, my friends decided to go to the pool area and wanted to hang out with some girls that he met. And the idea was that we'd meet up a little bit later on for dinner. So I went up to the hotel room, took a little nap, woke up a few hours later, uh, this is when I walked down to the Bellagio and I couldn't see anything. And then I wandered over for this dinner that was going to be ridiculously expensive. Uh, only to get a phone call about 15 minutes before we were supposed to be there. And to protect some names, I'll just say Frank, who was walking around with Josh, uh, informed us that Josh has disappeared. He has disappeared in Vegas. We have no idea where he is. And now we have to go find him. So we are now wandering the Strip, looking for one person on the Strip. And we couldn't find him. And it took about three hours And before he resurfaced back at the restaurant, sitting at the bar by himself, drinking water, trying to sober up.
1: <laughs> did Did you ever find out where he was?
2: Uh, he does not know. So- okay. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tom, do you, you have something to top that? No, absolutely not. The best one I have is... Um, in two different trips to Vegas, I did go to the Exotics Racing at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where you can race the supercars. And I think my my favorite car, if I had to do my top, my top car, it would be the Porsche uh, GT3 RS, which I think, John, you just recently drove one of those. Yeah, it's a beast. It's a straight up beast. I loved that thing. Um, but my best lap time was in a Honda NSX, actually. So I really liked that. It was the uh, the newer one with the uh, hybrid system. you know. So it has the electric motors and the it had like a turbocharged V6 or something like that too. So that was pretty fun. Lower on the list was the McLaren. I think I had a 650 was what I drove. And then the worst car out of the four was the Ferrari, which I think you and I talked about this, John. You kind of shared that experience as well. You know, it seems that Ferrari was on the bottom of our
1: lists. It's currently on the bottom of, uh, Charles's list. It's on the bottom of, uh, Carlos's list.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ferrari's not high on anyone's list right now. Apparently the Ferrari actually, I paid for five laps, but it only made it three around the track. <laughs> you got a DNF.
2: <laughs> yeah. They pulled you into the pits, but then you never got back out.
0: Yeah. I was told to box and then it was, I was told to retire the car. There was something wrong they were che- they were checking they never found anything they were just checking well i'll tell you my my last
1: two times in vegas uh i'll share i'll share my story quick it's a it's a little bit of a two part so if you've been to vegas before the rio which is somewhat off the strip has two towers the first one's you know 20 something floors and the second one is 51 and on the 51st floor of the rio it's split into two areas one is kind of a presidential suite and the other one is a place called the voodoo lounge and first time in vegas in my 20s a friend of mine and i we go to the voodoo lounge and it it wipes my friend out like it's bad like way too much drinking just not not ending well well we find ourselves back in Vegas about four years later. And of course, on the list of things to do, because we're staying in the Rio again, is the Voodoo Lounge. And I'm told this time the Voodoo Lounge will not put its voodoo on me. Needless to say, after losing my friend, finding them in the bathroom, having a little bit of an issue and not being able to make it to the other tower where we're staying, I carry them over my shoulder, down 51 over your shoulder, Force, over my shoulder, down 51 floors across the casino floor to the other tower. And we <laughs> go up the 15 stories that it takes to get them back. To the room. <laughs> Haven't seen the voodoo lounge since don't plan on seeing it ever, ever again. I'm
2: surprised you saw your friend ever again, because I would have just ditched him there.
1: I'm nice. You know, I'm, I, I try to take care of my people. But yeah, it was a bit much. So I have, to, I have to admit, I made a bit of a mistake in our last episode, Tom. Um, I had said, we don't know what to expect because no one's been to Vegas before. And lo and behold, I start doing a little bit of research and it was only a half truth. No one's done this course in Vegas before, but we have had a Caesars Palace Grand Prix. I heard Twice. about this. Yeah, it was back in the 80s, right? That's what they tell me. 1981 and
0: 1982 were the two years that they had it. Oh my gosh. I'm pulling up I'm pulling up footage right now of like race highlights from 1981 and 1982. And this is this looks ridiculous.
1: So rough is probably the best way to describe this. So you've got 81 and 82, similar, but both of them were the last race of the season. Caesar's palace was trying to capture some of the, the new excitement around formula one in America. You know, the first race there were kind of three in contention for the world championship. So I guess there was some excitement there in 82. The only exciting thing about that race was it was the last race for Mario Andretti. Apparently, you know, it was a bit of a failure because it was in a parking lot in the Caesar's Palace between the parking lot and the desert. It was a hundred degrees outside. Obviously, there were people overheating. Um, Fourteen turns, two point two miles, counterclockwise cir- circuit with no elevation changes, and basically was just kind of a back and forth. It was a it was a disaster absolute disaster
0: i mean it it at least looks like there's some room to make passes here like the track was wide enough for them to pass each other a little bit but it looks brutal it looks terrible
2: when i was preparing for this i went to look this up just a little bit and so something interesting about the vegas grand prix this year to me that jumps out is that this is one of the first maybe the is it the first event that's promoted by f1 themselves rather than having like a co-sponsor And so my understanding was back in the 80s, when they tried to put this on, they weren't trying to do what they were doing now, where they're trying to get a foothold in Vegas. They just had a sponsor, and I'm guessing they had to do something with Caesars. And Caesars couldn't take over the Strip because they don't own the Strip. So the best they could do was put it in their parking lot. So A for effort, I guess, but that's not not a GP. E for
1: execution. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, try again. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting point because yeah, Vegas is in charge of the promotion. They're in charge of the track. Normally it's whatever city that's in there is paying Formula One, like or the country. To fifty, or the country, yeah, is paying like twenty to fifty million dollars to F one to kind of host this race, and they're in charge of promotion and tickets. And yeah, Formula One is is taking this one over. So I, I would say if it fails, don't blame Vegas blame f1
0: well the interesting thing to me as i was driving it today so yes i did drive it today virtually on the f1 game and i think the biggest struggle i mean it's it's going to be weather related and not necessarily rain or issues like that but it's It's projected to be 49 degrees Fahrenheit as a low on Saturday night. And I just, I really don't think these cars are set up to run in that temperature. I think it's just going to be a struggle. Well, being the tire guy that you are, cold temperatures, inability to probably warm up the tires, are you thinking everybody's probably going to start softs on this? you got to have two different tire compounds during the race. So you will go on to a stint of mediums at some point just to... To check the box, but you also might not use all your soft tires for qualifying because you're going to need to save them for the race. So I think qual- it, it'll make qualifying pretty interesting just from a tire choice standpoint if it gets that cold for qualifying.
2: So the insider information I feel like I've got is the. Oh, stop the press. You guys brought me on from this, right? Yeah. But the tires that they've got for the race are the C4, C5. Uh, C3, I believe. So it's C3, three, C4, C5. Uh, the softest one uh, will heat up just fine. But from what I remember, those C4s don't heat up very well and have a very minimal window where they're actually effective. So does that mean everybody has to go on to hards? And if you're on hards on a track that is essentially just four miles of straights, are we going to put a bunch of cars in the wall and we just can't break at the end of that straight?
0: Yeah. I think that's going to be the biggest struggle, you know, driving it, uh, in, in the game and Brady, you've driven it in the game. You know what I'm talking about here. It's the braking zones. Like it's really some hard of, to judge. Some of it is the traction coming out of those slow corners, you know, getting the right traction underneath you to, to get the good launch towards those straights. Cause those straights are ridiculously long and, As soon as you hit those breaking zones, the hard breaking zones, which I think there's like three, maybe four of them, turn one's a relatively hard breaking zone, but it's more like you got to make it through that S-shaped chicane, which is turn one, two, three, and four.
1: For those that don't know the the turns, what part of the upside down pig is that? So we can follow along. (laughs) Those are the rear feet of the upside down pig. The rear feet of the upside down pig, okay, Yes, the
0: hind legs, if you will, for our agricultural friends. So then you're on the straightaway, and then it's a hard right turn to the front legs by by the sphere, but then you're in kind of like a sweeping left for six, but then seven, eight, and nine, that's what killed me. Seven, eight, and nine destroyed my ability to run this track because then I'm trying to launch out of there and come around to what looks like, is that the Palazzo and uh, Venetian probably? Cause that's where you're coming around and you have to hit a very, very hard breaking point on turn 12. That's the thing. These breaking points you're in eighth gear and you've been in eighth gear for a few seconds, if not 10, 20 seconds before slamming on the brakes and trying to make a very tight turn. So it, to Brady's point you're going 200 miles an hour plus and then you're trying to slam on the brakes and drop your drop your gears down to third gear or or even second in some cases to try and hit a tight tight turn somebody's just going to go straight on with cold tires you're just flat out like there's no S's like in Suzuka or in um Coda you're just it's flat out you're you've got the pedal to the floor you're gradually going up the gears you're not really driving a lot of warmth into the tires and then you're slamming on the brakes,
1: which is sad because given the length of the track and the number of like really cool straights, this could have been a fast track, but they're going to have to reserve because yeah, like you said, coming up on those braking zones, they don't want to find themselves into a wall. And if you're going 230 miles an hour, it's going to be real difficult to slow that thing down.
0: It was for me. And my my conditions in the game are nothing like what it would be real time on a forty nine degree night on that track.
2: Yeah, the craziest thing to me for this track is how it compares to Monza. Obviously, is is I think the the direct comparison. But on Monza, when you come around on that that front stretch and you slam on the brakes, if you miss it, there's just sort of that chicane runoff area that goes straight ahead. You can right? go straight you don't through, risk yeah, putting it in a wall, right? In turns. 12 and then coming down uh, the strip when you get to the end of the strip and you go to turns 14, 15, 16, those are tight little areas. They're almost like the castle section at Baku. That seems nuts to me. And I, you know, if you can really trust your tires and your brakes, sure. But yeah, if it starts getting really cold out there and heaven forbid that there's like a safety car and we have to do a restart or a red flag and everybody goes back out on cold tires, we could see some carnage.
0: I think we will. I think this is going to be more closely related to a destructive version of Baku than it will be a fun Monza. I understand what you're saying with the track layout and high speeds, but I'm more along the lines of, yes, this is going to be a carnage filled race.
2: I'll play devil's advocate. And I'm going to say that it's going to be sort of the reverse of Monaco where Monaco has amazing qualifying, right? It's such an amazing track, such an amazing environment. On this track, I think the qualifying is going to be boring. It's just going to be, you know, multiple minutes of just flat out, you know, uh, in qualifying. But racing could be interesting, especially if there is a couple of safety cars and we get some people bunched up because the DRS is going to keep people relatively close. And so there's going to be a lot of passing. might be boring, quote unquote, passing, you know, people just kind of passing on the street but there might be a lot of overtakes.
0: And I don't know if I don't know if the car setup is going to allow for DRS to be very powerful. You remember Monza this year, nobody had any wing on their cars and the DRS wasn't gaining you what it normally would in a in a traditional race. It was just because everybody set up their cars with teaspoons on their rear wing anyways. So opening it up really didn't give much benefit at all. I mean, I remember It was Perez and I think Carlos Sainz who were just going lap after lap down that main straight towards that first chicane in Monza. And it's because DRS wasn't as powerful as it normally is. Do you feel like that's going to be the same thing this time around?
2: Yeah, I kind of do, actually. I mean, so I hadn't really considered too much about the setups themselves, but you're absolutely right, which actually can play back to our, our other comments here about going into that breaking zone if you can't get a clean pass in a DRS zone and you've got two cars going into that corner and someone tries to outbreak the other, we're really going to get sketchy. My main,
0: my big concern is on lap one coming in, like you said, on turn 14, 15 and 16. Cause after that big, long straightaway down the strip, you're still trying to warm up your tires and people are going to be bunched up together. That's going to be the point where where something could happen. And then after that, you could even get more with someone diving down into turn one. So if you get through 14, 15, 16 cleanly, then you've got to come back and do it all again through one, two, three, four. Yeah, one is where everybody's going to lunge.
2: So what you're saying is George's Leroy Jenkins plan into turn one is not going to work out well for him. Got it. <laughs>
0: All right. So besides the weather, and we've spent a lot of time on track layout, do you have any uh, thoughts on how this is affecting the the spectators? You know, ticket prices are plummeting. Um, hotel room costs are plummeting. What do you think the locals feel about this particular event coming to town?
2: Anecdotal evidence from when I was there in October was that they obviously didn't like it, but that was just from the people that drive Ubers and didn't like to be inconvenienced in any way, shape, or form. The locals, though, the rest of the locals who aren't just driving cabs around, which sounds really dismissive of that population. I apologize. Uh, there are no locals. It's Vegas. There is no locals on the Strip.
0: That's true. On the Strip, it's it's all tourism or you know service industry uh, folks, which... You know, God bless them for what they have to put up with. John, any thoughts on uh, what what the uh, locals might be feeling? Put yourself in the shoes of someone who lives in Las Vegas, or even a tourist who's coming to Vegas who cares nothing about F one.
1: I think the tourist going to Vegas is is in for a rude awakening because a lot of the things that they're gonna they're going to want to experience in Vegas they're not going to. And even a buddy of mine is going the week of Thanksgiving. And he told me today, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going for the week of Thanksgiving. We're going to head out to Vegas. I said, well, you know, Formula One's this weekend, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's over this weekend. Yeah, but they got to tear all that stuff down. Like, I don't know what you're planning on seeing and walking around to see. But right now it's just going to be construction. I mean, it took a year to build it, right? Or more. So it's probably going to take quite a bit of time to tear the majority of it down. Outside of that, it's good for the city. Obviously, it's going to bring in a lot of people that have no idea what's going on with Formula One and only want to be there for the spectacle of it. And we can talk about that uh, a little bit later in the episode, because I think we all have some thoughts on uh, the Americans' representation of Formula One. Yeah, you know, I I think it's good, but it's good for one night. And hopefully they do a good enough job where, you know, Formula One
0: putting their new U.S. headquarters down there isn't just a complete bust. Well, you make a good point about like the amount of time and effort it takes for setup and teardown. Do you think part of this is the fact that it's the first time around? I feel like Monaco, if we're drawing that comparison, it, they've kind of got it down to a science, and they're able to set up for the race. They don't disrupt life for everyone for an entire year, and then they take it down and life goes back to normal. Do you feel like some of that could just be the fact that this is the first time and we're all learning how to how to run a race in Las Vegas. One million percent.
1: Think about the. OK, so obviously we're podcast experts at this stage in the game. I don't know those. Thank you, you for that episodes. compliment. Of course. Yeah. yeah. How many episodes you guys have listened to. But the first stint at recording this podcast took us two and a half hours to get set up, to get tested, to get in, start recording, figure out what in the hell we're doing. Um, And now it's, hey, send me the link. We log on in three minutes. We're ready to go. We're tested and we roll right into it because we have experience in doing it. Um, Not a ton, but we have some. And so to your point, I think as they can, if they continue to do this race and a lot of it depends on how well things go this weekend,
0: they'll get better at it because that's what Vegas does. And they've got a 10-year contract. This is supposed to happen every year for the next 10 years. So if it took us 10, 10 tries at figuring out this whole podcast stuff, you're hopefully by the end of a 10-year contract, they've got it figured out, and it's not nearly as disruptive to the locals or the tourism. I just hope it's a good race, because as we know from the CODA episode, I love
1: CODA. I think it's probably one of the best complete races of the season. Miami is a, I don't know, Miami is a bit of a bust if you ask me. I just think it's not really worth the race. If we're going to have three races in the U.S., can two of them be good? Like, can we have two races?
0: Is that too much to ask instead of one? It probably is too much to ask in terms of this year because of things we've already talked about. Just the track layout doesn't really suit... What they're planning to do, the weather is not going to be cooperative. Somebody didn't realize that it gets cold in the desert in November at night. But you lower your expectations, it's harder to be disappointed. So I think that's the camp I'm in on this particular weekend. Well, we've got card suits painted on the curbs. That looks pretty cool.
1: I actually Um, like that quite a bit. I think that's fun. uh, Yeah. I'm being slightly facetious, but it does look cool. There's a lot of really fantastic iconic landmarks in vegas it's a night race aesthetically it'll be pleasing
0: um after that it's a crapshoot are you gonna stay up till midnight to watch it and it'll be 1 a.m where brady's at are you gonna watch it live
2: i am
1: absolutely Quali uh is gonna be a little bit different because it doesn't start until 2 a.m our time oh shoot yeah i might not stay up for qualifying no, no, that's not happening. But the race, well, we, I mean, hell, we started a midnight race, uh, in Australia in the middle of your birthday party in a bar and stayed to finish it. So
0: yes, I'm a grown man who has a birthday party. It was fun <laughs> though. So, um, I had I had this in my notes that I wanted to at least touch on Haas, but you know we can breeze over this real quick. They had their hearing about the United States Grand Prix. Um, that went nowhere. Apparently, the evidence they brought was just onboard footage that was already available to people. Like, why are you wasting everyone's time? This is so dumb. I understand why they're doing it. I just feel like it's a, a complete waste of time and money to get so many people involved to basically dismiss them as you guys are being idiots. Why did you even bring this up? And then the second thing about Haas is that I read it today that Hulkenberg has asked that all of the upgrades that they brought to Coda be taken off his car. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest in-season upgrade that that team has ever made. He wants it all removed.
2: I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation.
0: Maybe Nico was getting some advice
1: from Fernando since Aston Martin had such great success in removing the majority of their upgrades and going back to an earlier car. He thought it would work.
0: But I don't understand here, before the upgrades, the Haas car didn't work. And then after the upgrades, the Haas car didn't work. So what are we trying to prove by taking the upgrades off? It's a bad car, period.
2: Yeah, I don't see the benefits for Haas at all. And I don't really understand much of their planning, but I do think it's interesting, and not to get serious on the topic for a second, but uh, we've now had two manufacturers take off upgrades, meaning that they feel that they've gotten it wrong this year, which I don't know if that bodes better for them, that they have recognized that they've done something wrong and they have to shift gears, or that they've gotten it so wrong that they have to essentially retool their car and just go back to what they know is already a losing formula.
0: At least before the upgrade, I think uh, Haas feel like they had a better chance at qualifying better. I mean, it was a rocket
2: ship for qualifying.
0: Yeah. in the race, they still fell, fell back down to earth. But I guess if you qualify better, you've still got a better chance to score because you know, who knows what can happen in the race.
2: Speaking of that car doesn't, manage its tires very well. And if you could tell me no. one race where manage... Yeah, right? I This is brand, Breaking news, news. brand new news. Ever to everybody. Yet. But if you could name one race where managing your tires is going to be at a premium, I would put it on this one. And that doesn't bode well. <laughs> doesn't bode well for... Uh, doesn't bode well for the Haas crew.
0: John, any uh, hot opinions on the current state of our only slash favorite American team? None that would add any value. How about any that would take value away? Yes. <laughs> Plenty of those. <laughs> We've been a little disappointed in how we've portrayed ourselves to the rest of the world. Because after all, this is a global sport. This isn't just for the folks who watch Drive to Survive. And we have a little bit of uh, anxiety as we've talked about this, a little bit of concern about going into the Las Vegas weekend as this is our last chance in 2023 to show the world that we actually are not just a bunch of morons. And so in light of that, I took the liberty of putting some pen to paper and I wrote what I will call an open letter to the United States of America, or at least the population of the United States of America, as we go into this Las Vegas weekend. Do you mind if I read that to you? Tom, I would love nothing more than to hear the beautiful words that are about to come from your mouth. My fellow Americans... Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yes, I did make that doctor appointment, and he said it wasn't contagious, so you should be fine. I know we have a lot to catch up on, but for now, let's stick to this weekend's upcoming race. 2023 has not been our year for Formula One. The only American driver has just one championship point this season. Compared to our daddy country of England with 577, That's not ideal. Our North American neighbors, Mexico has 258 points, and even Canada with 63, they're kind of embarrassing us. And Haas, the only American Formula One team, are in last place and show no signs of being competitive. Now, in the USA, we're used to domination in international competitions like the Olympics, and we even have decent showings in sports that we don't do very well at, like the World Cup. But my hope was that whatever we may lack in driver or team performance, we can make up for in the spectacle of our host cities and the quality of our, person, uh, of our population attendance. Unfortunately, Miami wound up wetting the bed before a single lap was completed. Thanks to that cringeworthy driver entrance and introductions performance with cheerleaders and orchestra and LL Cool J, I would have preferred that they broadcast how hot dogs are made instead. In Austin, we did okay until the podium celebration. Whether we were booing the governor or not, the boos were heard around the world and people were left to infer who was actually on the receiving end of them. Because as a casual TV viewer, it appeared to me that everyone hated Max winning. And however true that feeling may be, we must have better sportsmanship when the rest of the world is watching. Which brings me to Las Vegas. When they first announced this race, I was excited to imagine the spectacle of Vegas combined with the spectacle of Formula One event. Then all those happy feelings were replaced with doubts. And over the last 18 months, those doubts have turned into fears and are now morphing into full-blown panic. Even when we aren't hosting races in our country, many of our celebrities and citizens attend F1 events around the globe. Just know what you're getting into. If you're a celebrity on the grid, Martin Brundle will want to talk to you. And a word of advice, he's not seeking your expert opinion on tire wear or pit strategy. It's okay to talk to him and try to behave like a normal human. If you're in a garage or hospitality area, don't be a jerk. If there's a camera in your face, just be polite and do normal human things like smile and wave. And if you're a spectator, however exciting or boring the event is, please don't treat this like a Buffalo Bills tailgate. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google that. These are international events and you're representing our country. We've done a collectively poor job of representing the best of the USA through our other races this year. So please, my countrymen and women, enjoy this event responsibly. Sincerely, Tom Delicati. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Tom, that was beautiful. Can we just ban LL Cool J? I think that would have probably made Miami just a little bit better. That would have made it
0: marginally better. You still had "Will I Am" there with an orchestra. Oh my
2: god, I I, I had blocked so much of that entire intro out of my mind. You know, it's like
1: the the intros that they're doing to these races aren't too far off from what we would see at a Dallas Cowboys game. You don't see it in baseball, thank God, which is the reason why I really love baseball. Um, you see it in a lot of sports. We just try we try to overhype things when and and it maybe it's just because there's not a lot to the sport that we're watching but there's a lot to formula
0: one but to that point there are no other races around the world who seem to do this and so why would we think it's a good idea i understand putting our spin on it i get it you know culture and all that stuff but to your point i think they missed the mark now They missed the mark in Miami, but they're still planning to try and hit the mark with an opening ceremony here in Vegas, which I'm here for. I want to see it. I want to see them success or failure. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm here with my popcorn ready to just consume it all. I mean, it's Vegas, right? Vegas is a spectacle.
1: So you can get away with it in Vegas. You can't get away with it in, in Miami.
2: Earlier this week, Tom, if you recall, we had a quick talk about Vegas uh, just on the phone. And it's interesting how Vegas gets a pass a little bit, right? Like when you were a kid, when you went to Disney World, uh, it's fake. But they do a pretty good job of covering everything up. Uh, Vegas, the minute you step off the plane, they're like, give us your money. They're not even trying. And yet every adult that I know, when they say we're going on a vacation, they say you're going to Vegas, right? Like Vegas is just like almost revered in some way that they can get away with just about anything. So John, to your point. If you were gonna have LL Cool J and Will I Am somewhere, seems like you probably should have done it at Vegas. I don't really know why we did it at Miami, which kind of scares me about what they have planned for Vegas, because if LL Cool J was the pre-show, I don't know what's gonna happen this weekend. <laughs>
1: But I'll tell you, to your point, there was a couple of things you brought up in your open letter. Actually, everything you brought up was fantastic. But two of the two similar things that I had in my, not open letter, but just in my thoughts in our conversations is know what you're getting into. If you're on the grid, to your point, Martin Brundle's going to interview you. Machine Gun Kelly, he's going to interview you. Megan the Stallion, he's going to interview you. Pretty much everyone from CODA 2021, you're getting interviewed. Just get on the mic, say hello, have a basic knowledge of what's about to happen. Like, yeah, I like Lewis. He's great. He's had a good season. I like Formula One. Or, hey, I'm new to the sport, but this looks like a lot of fun and I wanted to come check it out. I think everyone would appreciate that. But avoiding interviews, being rude to Martin, having your bodyguard stand in the way, it's like,
0: all right, come on. He's he's better than that. It's just a lack of awareness, which <laughs> unfortunately is a term that you could use with just about every American tourist that you run into in a foreign country, a lack of awareness. And I feel like that lack of awareness, that, that uh, you know, we're just exacerbating the stereotypes that already exist. And I feel like the celebrities that have stepped in it, so to speak, over the last year or two with uh, Martin Brundle and others regarding Formula One, it doesn't really help. It's not adding to our resume. Listen, if Taylor Swift can go to a football game and know when to cheer
1: appropriately and what's going on, you can go to a Formula One race and not look like an idiot. Just put a little bit of effort in. That's all we're asking for, a little bit of effort.
0: All right, so real quick before we get out of here, um, John and I typically give our race predictions for pole one, two, three uh, before the start of a race weekend. Uh, Brady, would you like to join us in that?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: All right, so let's start with, uh, let's start with pole. Uh,
1: Vegas, no experience other than you two guys driving it a couple of times. So you've got the inside scoop on what's going to happen pole this weekend.
0: This can't be anyone other than Nico Hülkenberg. <laughs> All those
2: non-upgrades, right?
0: He took the upgrades off the car and he's going to hit pole. No, I'm just totally kidding. I've got Charles Leclerc on pole. I don't know why. I think Ferrari is still kind of dog doo-doo, but if it's anything like Monza or Baku, he had uh he had a great uh qualifying lap at both of those places, so give me give me the Ferrari, man. Give me Charles Leclerc. Brady, what say you?
2: I'm going to go with Sergio. I'm going to say that he finds his street circuit magic, and just to help him out, somebody's going to put it in the wall at the end of Q3, and we're going to have a red flag, and he'll be on top uh, and get it by default.
1: Well, even though they deal with a little bit of tire dag, I think Lando is good for one lap.
0: Put him on pole for me. Brady, let's go to uh, P3 in the race.
2: So, I feel like I gotta pick something hot here, right? We can't just we can't just go with what I actually think is gonna happen. Uh, but I'm gonna reach back a little bit and I look back to Monza, and there is someone who came in seventh that I think have slowly been upgrading their car and is poised to get himself a great race. And I'm gonna go with Alex Albon.
0: I know it was an episode that we didn't publish, but I chose him for a poll at Monza, and he finished 7th. I think I I had him finishing 3rd, but yeah, he got 7th, and I was happy about that. But uh, I hope for your sake that you're right.
2: Realistically, he's probably—I think he can be top 10. I I, I don't actually think he'd be in 3rd, but I'll uh, I'll die on that hill a little bit today.
0: It could be a very strange race, as we talked about. The conditions could uh, cause a lot of shakeup up and down the grid. John, who you got for P3? I like the streak
1: Fernando's on, so let's see if uh, he can find himself another podium this weekend.
0: I'm going to take a Red Bull. I'm going to get Sergio Perez on the podium this week. Okay. All right. All interesting uh, starts here.
1: Brady, we'll turn to you on uh, who's finishing Segundo.
2: He keeps going to second place. It's going to be Lando. I don't think there's anybody else that I can pencil in for that.
1: That's a that's a, uh, a bold choice, but a wise choice, and uh, since I'm already ahead of you in points and was going to put him there anyway, I'm going
0: P2 with Lando. Thomas, what say you? Well, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. I'm going to take Max Verstappen P2. You Ooh. get out of here with that, bullsh.
1: You know, <laughs> you have picked against him before, and it has never worked out in your favor. Which is why I'm, you know, where I'm putting them.
0: It's not worked out in your favor. Don't wag your finger at me I'm, through the camera. I'm just letting <laughs> you know that I think, even though the track is different and the circumstances will be way different, I think because it's an unknown and because we could have differing conditions for the race, it could wind up being more like Singapore than we think. And in Singapore, that was the only one that Red Bull missed the mark on. So I'm hoping, wondering if we'll get anything close to that. I mean, I could have gone really crazy and put like Hamilton or Russell in second, even though I think the Mercedes really doesn't have a strong shot this weekend. But I'm going to stick to my guns. Give me Verstappen in second? So I've got two Red Bulls on the podium, but neither one of them finishing first.
1: I know who you're going with first, then. Just let us know who it is. Go ahead and pull that McLaren cord. So which which Ferrari did
0: you expect me to put in first? <laughs> Please don't tell me you're going with Ferrari. No, I'm going to put Lando in first. I'm just... It's such a Homer call for me, but he just celebrated his 24th birthday, the young pup. And uh, I think it was today, actually. So happy birthday, Lando, if you're listening. Happy birthday, buddy. But I, I have high hopes And I am fully prepared to be disappointed by the result of the race. Can
1: I say, though, I hope you're right. Points aside for whatever it is that we're not winning, I'd really like to see him win a race this season. We've talked about this before. What better way to do it than Vegas? Uh, Y'all all all know who I'm going for, so I don't even need to say it. Brady, who do you have at the top?
2: It's going to be Max, but my heart is with the field. Literally anybody else. I'd love to see Carlos up there. Uh, I I can't in good conscience pick the Ferraris. But if it's not going to be Max, then I actually think Sergio's got a shot here. Um, But it's going to be Max. There's just no other person.
1: Funny how we didn't put any
0: Ferraris or parachute-driven Mercs up there this week. Shocking. Shocking. shocking Mm. I say well I have Leclerc on pole I just don't think he's going to start or finish the race so that's his streak that he's got going on (laughs) Brady you have Perez on pole Albon finishing third Lando second and Verstappen in first John you have Lando on pole with Fernando Lando and Verstappen in the race finishing in that order three two one and I put Leclerc on pole And then for two, I have Perez, I'm sorry, three Perez, two Verstappen and first place. Lando's going to get his first win in the inaugural revitalized Las Vegas Grand Prix.
1: Well, we've got some bold predictions, some uh, feet on the ground, as it were, with Brady, first time guest here on Soft, Hard, and Wet. We hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We look forward to Vegas this weekend, late night for some of us over here in the States. Uh, but should be an exciting race. Nonetheless, uh, if nothing else, it'll be at night. There'll be some lights. Uh, and I don't think the Bellagio fountain's going to be on, but it's definitely going to be a gamble for us all. Look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining us.